Every week, Denver Zone Real Nerds Podcast sees a new movie. We podcast our experience to the world. I think sometimes we're funny. Yeah, sometimes when I'm talking, not when you're talking, not when you're talking. Oh, you know, it might help if you told them that we're on iTunes or on Stitcher so they could find a place where you can actually listen to us. Oh, okay, Brad. We're also on Twitter, at Real Nerds, and we have an Instagram account. Boom. Commercial, Brad. Cut. Paste. Upload. We like to have fun. Sure. I like fun. James, you're very bad at improv. RealNerdsPodcast.com. The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. You have all made it. Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to John's Audio Resume, Volume 10. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And I gotta admit, I'm doing this show on a note of melancholy. Things are a little bit bittersweet right now. And I'll be honest, I'm surprised that I'm feeling this way, but whatever. Embrace your feelings, whatever they may be, because it's a nice bit of synchronicity that I'm putting up episode 10 right as I'm wrapping up my sort of, not full-time, but this subcontracting gig that I've been doing at the creative agency because it's been nearly three years since I've worked a regular office job and going into that, like having regular office hours and going into that back in November, I remember I was really, really nervous about it because my last experience in an office, I was ready to be done with for a variety of reasons. And Future programming note, I'm not entirely sure if uh, this series is going to cover my corporate gig or not. I'm debating about that just because there's sort of a lot of politics at play there. And I just I don't know if I feel like talking about it. But needless to say, I was ready for a change. And when I started Deft Communications, my whole world felt like it opened up. And I felt like I was realizing my potential. And when I accepted the offer that they made me for the subcontracting gig, I was a little bit worried just because I'm not generally a great employee. I think that's come across in this series. After nine episodes, I think you have a pretty clear picture of me being something of a pain in the ass. And it really only gets worse from here in terms of the gigs that I had once I finally graduated college. But this has been a great company. And you know, I don't always mention companies by name, but this is Amelie Company, and I've adored everyone I've worked with. Uh, they do interesting, creative, and necessary work. Uh, the, the work that we do, I feel like it matters, and that's not always true when you're a communications professional. Some of the work you do f- can feel sort of superfluous. It can feel ethereal. It can feel like, why are we even doing this? Why does it even matter? And I mean, that's certainly not true of any clients I've had through Deft. I've only done work I've cared about. And I, again, I've been very, very fortunate that way. My, my main client is Vital for Colorado. And I love the work that they do. And I love the people I work for. And despite having this gig at Amelie that took up a good chunk of my time, Vital was and always has been my number one priority. 
because they've been great to me over the almost three years that I've been with them. And so I've always put them first, which has caused me to work some really ungodly hours in a lot of ways because I'm balancing this gig where I'm in the office during regular times with Vital where I'm doing that at pretty much every other waking hour that I have and then fitting in a little bit of time for Mile High 100. We just had our third meeting. That was really great. And this podcast. And this series is coming to an end largely because some of my time is opening up. I'm sticking around with Amelie and that's going to be great. And, you know, continuing work with Vital. Um, I have a handful of other things going on, but that allows me to get back to the interview format that I love so much and that has made this show, I would argue, an award-winning show. Now, that's not to say that this series has not been fun. This series has been great. It's been fun to walk down memory lane. And this week's episode, the fact that my most recent office gig is ending, you know, like in a regular way, coincides with episode 10, where I work as an administrative assistant for the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. And it's interesting because grad school was coming to an end. And my last semester of grad school, I was taking one class. I was finishing my thesis. And my thesis was largely, I was done writing that in about January. I defended it, I want to say in like March, like mid-March. And from that point forward, when you have one class and you are teaching one class and your thesis is written, you have a lot of downtime. And as appealing as that is and was, it can get pretty dull. And you're like, you know what? I'm ready for something else. I am ready for a new challenge. I wrote a master's thesis. It's a hundred pages. And it was like one of the hardest things that I ever did. And it was great. It was so rewarding, but it's like, all right, time for a new challenge. And one of the challenges of graduating grad school after you've gone through undergrad and then graduate school is you are overeducated and thoroughly underskilled. You have no experience. Now, as I said in last week's episode, reflecting on it, you have actually a lot of experience in terms of managing workload and having your 24 or whatever little clients where you have to sort of project manage them through a lot of things. That's real world management experience, but no one tells you that. No one teaches you that. And so you're largely on your own. You're like, I've never had a real job. My last job, I was a lifeguard. And then before that, I worked for the city of Golden. And like, you can't really put that on a resume. I mean, you do because you have to go with what you have, but you're kind of leaning hard on your academic credentials. And one thing you realize as you go on in your career, the less people give a shit about your sort of academic bona fides. Um, if you're a young person and you're putting your GPA on your resume, stop doing that. Unless your GPA is like 4.0 or above, just don't put it on there. No one cares. If your GPA is like 3.5, which is a good GPA, which is what I had, like don't put that on a resume. No one gives a shit, literally. But with that said, how do you find a job? And everyone says networking, and it's true. But I remember being like a 20, let's see, how old was I at this point? 24-year-old kid going, okay, that's fine and dandy. How the fuck do I network? Like everyone says networking. How do you do it? And I went to a couple of things that were branded as networking events. And pretty much as a rule, networking events are shit. 
They're awful. It's basically a bunch of people who sell insurance trying to sell insurance to each other or startup people just trying to like puff their chest out and make themselves feel important. It's awful. I hated them so much and I still don't go to them. If it's couched as a networking event, I, you can almost guarantee that I'm not going to be there. So in the absence of that, how do you meet people? Here's what I tell everyone. And this is what I did. First of all, I treated finding a job as my full-time job. I would dedicate six to eight hours a day to finding this. And of that time, approximately 20% maybe was dedicated to online stuff. Now, that's where your instinct is to go to like monster.com or go to LinkedIn or there's a great resource in Denver. And this is the one I dedicated most of my time to. And if I were looking for a job today, this is where I would still go. It's Andrew Hudson's job list. That is a fantastic resource, especially for people who do what I do. People in my discipline. That's where you're going to find jobs that are actually like real and good. But outside of that, where you want to spend your time is meeting as many people as possible. Now, how do you do that? I leaned on my parents heavily. My dad in particular. My dad has been a business person in Denver for the, let's see, at the time it would have been like 35 years. So I asked him to introduce me to his friends, to his colleagues, to acquaintances, to people he knew. I asked my friend's parents. I leaned on my professors. I said, are there alumni you know, who are out there doing work? Like, can I meet with them? And I was not meeting with them explicitly looking for a job. Don't view it as transactional in that way. You've got to view it like take a wider view. I wanted to meet as many people as possible. And the goal of each one of those meetings was for them to introduce me to more people. I wanted to chain out my network as far as it would go. And eventually I knew that if I met enough people, the right position would reveal itself. And it did. So over the course of these meetings, I remember I met with, I'm trying to think here. How did this even start? I can't even remember how it started, but I was introduced to someone who introduced me to a woman named Dina McMullen. She worked for Shell Oil and Gas Company. Dina McMullen introduced me to Cricket Smith, who was the executive vice president of MGA Communications. I met with Cricket and I go, wow, this is a company I desperately want to work for. And they had an opening. They ended up hiring someone else. It's someone I'm friends with to this day. Her name is Erin O'Donnell. Erin O'Donnell Davis, I think, is her name now. But they didn't have another opening for eight months. <laughs> and I kept in contact with them. And I swear I'm going to get to the job that I actually ended up with here in a second. But I kept in contact with them over those eight months, just giving them updates. I had this job and then I had another job before I ended up at MGA. But I knew I wanted to work there. And I just, I loved what she was telling me about the company. I loved the clients they worked for the skill sets that they sort of valued that they put on their website. I'm like, these are my skill sets. God, I just knocked into my recorder. These are my skill sets. This is what I need to be doing. So I was relentless in pursuing them. Now let's rewind a little bit. My dad, as part of a gift for graduation, gave me some sessions with a career counselor and he helped me sort of dial in what I should pursue. And at the time I thought I wanted to work in baseball. I wanted to work for the Rockies. The idea of that was just so sexy and so cool and so awesome. 
So I pursued them too. And over the course of like eight months, no, not eight months, six weeks, I went down there and I found a contact. I looked on the Rockies website and then I scoured LinkedIn for connections to anyone there. And I found someone who was like second or third chained out in my network. And I, tr- I figured out the path and I wrote cover letter after cover letter after cover letter to him. And I went down to Coors Field and I dropped off resumes one a week until he finally got sick of me and hooked me up with the ticketing department and said, okay, here's someone for you to meet. Here's an entry point into the Rockies. This is where almost everyone goes through. And I got an interview. Again, I had a different job at the time. They offered me that job and it was less money than I was making at the time. And I ended up turning it down, but here's the deal. You've got to be relentless Put your eye on the goal and just fucking go for it until someone tells you no or, I don't know, has you arrested. Seriously, don't push it that far. But be relentless. Figure out what you want and fucking go for it. That's what it's all about. So eventually, I needed a job because I was living in my parents' basement again. Moved home from Fort Collins. And I'm like, okay, I really want to be living on my own. I have lived on my own now for, you know through college or, you know, with roommates, whatever. And it's like, I, it's hard to go back to this. I mean, I loved my parents. I had a great relationship with them. They have a terrific house, but I was sort of ready to be on my own. That was my step in life. I wanted that. So my dad hooked me up with the Colorado oil and gas association. Their executive assistant was leaving. She took another job and they needed someone to sort of fill in temporarily. And so he was good enough to hire me on like an hourly basis. And I think it was something like I was working like six hours a day, all five days a week. So it was like 30 hours a week. It was pretty good work. And the rate, I can't remember what he paid me, but it was something that I liked that was pretty good. Um, it was like 15, $20 an hour, something like that. Um, whatever it was at the time, it was more than the zero that I was making. So I showed up there, started working And the first time you work in an office is thoroughly disorienting because you're like, you've come out of college and you're like, you want me here at what time? And at the time it was nine o'clock and uh, I left at three. So I worked like nine to three and I remember thinking, okay, this is like a lot of hours of the day to be on, which is embarrassing to me now. It's hilarious to think about this. But when you've worked in college, when you've worked in college, when you've been at college and sort of setting your own schedule, and I, you know, I used to work and write and just be nuts. Like some of my best writing happened between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. And that's, that's how I used to just get shit done. But now, like, you're required to A, look presentable. So I had a bunch of terrible looking work clothes. They were hand me downs for my dad. Nothing fit properly. So A, I looked like shit, but sort of had a minimum level of aesthetic professionalism. And then B, you have to be there all day. Like they make you be there. And you go, why? Like, why? What is this? Like, why do I have to be here all day? Well, because that's how the work gets done. And I used to answer the phones and get the mail and keep track of these spreadsheets and like print copies and stuff. And it was all really mundane work. And in a lot of ways, that's really, really humbling because 
you've just come out of your master's program. You've written a master's thesis that you're really proud of. And you feel like you're doing high, you know, very highly important work. And you are, but it's sort of esoteric to the rest of the world. Like, the world doesn't really give a shit what my thought was about constitutive rhetoric and how the music of Yellow Card and Rise Against furthered the theories of Lawrence Grossberg and Maurice Charland. Like, no one cared about that. And P.S., that was what my thesis was actually about. No one gave a shit. It's like, look, we got a business to run. And in this case, we got a trade association to run. We've got board meetings. We've got things to do. We have an agenda. We have a lobbyist. We need to coordinate uh, efforts. You know, what are we going to do at the Capitol? On and on and on. And there's grunt work associated with that. So what I did was I marched in. I did the work as best I could. I uh, thought I did a pretty great job. Uh, who the hell knows? You'd have to ask my boss, whose name was Greg Schnocky. And what a name. I mean, what a handle. Let's pause on that for a minute. Greg Schnocky. And it's funny. I ran into Greg in like 2012. We were at this event together in Wyoming, and I told him, I'm like, look, Greg, when I was 24 years old, and I didn't know anything, and you took a chance on me and you hired me, you gave me my break, like, everyone has a first job, you were my first boss, and I am infinitely grateful to you for that, and he said, well, thank you, it's my pleasure, um, you showed a lot of ambition, you showed a lot of drive, and the future of our business and really any business is guys your age, not mine. And when he told this to me, I was like 31. And I remember thinking, God, that's great. Like what a cool guy, you know, recognizing that I certainly had my shortcomings. Um, I was really, really unskilled and it took me a long time to sort of get the office rhythms. But one of the things he told me was, he's like, you were always asking me for more work. And if you are a young person looking to get ahead, Always, always, always ask for more work. The other trick that I that I have that I learned, do the shit that no one else wants to do. do. Like, if you're a salesman, take on the accounts that no one else wants. And it's really, that's a no-lose situation for you. Because if you fail at it, well, then you're just one of another of a long line of people who could not crack the code on this project or this account or whatever it is. Fine. Take your place in line. At least you gave it a shot. At least you gave it a try. You get credit for that. You get points for trying in this particular context. But if you manage to solve it, if you manage to do good things with it, if you can turn it around, you're a goddamn hero. You are indispensable. And from there, you start doing shit that you really like. That is awesome. That is a great place to be in any organization. So whatever it is that you do, dig in and do the shit that no one else wants to do. You will be a hero. You will make yourself indispensable in that company, in that organization, wherever you are. So he said, you kept asking for more work. And at one point, he just like had my resume on his desk. His desk, by the way, was a mess. Um, it was just filled with like newspapers and copies and there was just tons of shit. And Greg was really, really bad at email. He was not good at electronics. So a lot of his emails were like printed out and with handwritten notes on them and stuff. It was insane. I just, I could not wrap my head around how he functioned. This was 2006. But uh, I imagine he's better at it now. Maybe he isn't. Who gives a shit? Greg's a great guy. He will forever be in my cool book. But he had my resume out 
and he said, I see on your resume you have uh, event planning experience. Now, a quick note about that. That was largely horse shit, um, mostly because my resume was awfully thin, so I was filling it out with things. So I took some parties that we did in college, and I fancied up the language <laughs> and made it seem like I had event planning experience, when in reality we were just college kids having a party. But uh, he goes, okay, um, that's great. We have our annual member luncheon coming up. The guest list is usually about 400 people. Your budget is $15,000. Uh, I need you to pick a menu, uh, book the venue, uh, get the seating charts uh, arranged, get all the invites out. And he gave me this list of like nine things that I had to do, one of which was a legislator reception where we invited like members of the board to interact with legislators. And he's like, and we're going to do this in like November. So uh, this can be your project. And I'm like, all right, sounds good, Greg. And I remember I went outside and I nearly had a heart attack. I'm like, $15,000? What the fuck is he talking about? That is a shit lot of money. And I'm going to drown. I'm going to drown? God, I'm talking like a nine-year-old. I'm going to drown. I cannot even fathom where to begin on this. But that was the first time, one of many, where I've just been tossed in the deep end and been expected to swim. And you know what I've done? I fucking swam. And I've done that every time in my career. You just get in there and you figure it out. It's like climbing Mount Everest, right? What's the big deal? It's just fucking steep. Just put one fucking foot in front of the other. And that's what I did with this project. I'm like, okay, he said book a venue. And so I asked someone, I'm like, where did they have it last year? And they told me it was like the Hyatt or whatever. And I'm like, okay. So I start calling the hotels and I'm like, okay, who do I speak to? I like, I want to host a big event for our, I think this was the first thing I said to the first hotel I called. Like, hi, I'm with the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. We're looking to host a big event. Who do I talk to? And they're like, you want our events and catering manager? And I go, perfect. So I wrote down on my little pad. I'm like, talk to events and catering manager. And then I talked to them and I told her, you know, sort of what my parameters were, what I was looking for. And I just started getting estimates from everyone. I'm like, okay, does that include, you know, food, beverages? Like what, what's involved in that? And they're like, that's iced tea, water, coffee. And I'm like, okay, great. And I would like take notes. And I just, I had, I was writing pen to paper what to do and not, not knowing anything. And at the, at the end of it there, so one of the questions too was they're like, are you going to want pipe and drape? And I go, what the, what is, well, I don't even know what that means. What is pipe and drape? And they go, that's like the staging. So there'll be, you know, like a stage, like, do you need a podium? And I'm like, I don't know. So I had all these questions that I would bring back to Greg and Greg would tell me like, yes, on the podium. Yes. On the pipe and drape, uh, try to see if you can get him to throw in the pipe and drape. So I'm like, you mean negotiate? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, I really hate negotiating. I didn't say that to him, but I remember thinking it because at the time, yes, I really hated negotiating. Now I don't give a shit. I'll negotiate with anyone. But uh, so I would take a list of questions that I got from each hotel, bring them to Greg. He'd answer them. I'd circle back with the hotel. Eventually, I booked the Marriott, uh, picked a uh, like picked what was for lunch. I picked the dessert with Greg's buy-in, of course. And then I arranged like where each table was 
And like we had a bunch of legislators, we had to place them at different tables. So I worked with Greg on placing all of that. I got all the invites out. Uh, and I was so stressed leading up to this that I think I collapsed in exhaustion just as soon as it was, as it was over. Because this was my first real event. And it was my first real actual like career project. And I remember Greg was up there delivering the, the remarks at the luncheon. And he goes, and I'd like to uh, give a special thanks to John. He's out here running around. And he, I mean, he's just been with like a chicken with his head cut off. Um, but he's worked really hard to put this together. Give him a round of applause. So this ballroom full of 400 people clapped for me. And I remember thinking, wow, like this is really cool. Like the stakes were high. And I managed to deliver. And it was something I, I was and am very proud of in my career. Um, came to find out months later that I went way over budget because I saw Greg in an event at the next job I was at. And he goes, we got to talk about that luncheon you had and the legislator reception because that ended up costing us some money. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm sorry, Greg. I don't work for you anymore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a good feeling. Here's the thing I remember about working in that office job. And Greg was really cool. He knew that was just a really like temporary position for me as I looked for something that was full-time because he knew I didn't want to be an admin. There are folks out there who that's what they want to do. They're really good at keeping an office running and humming and at a very high level. And that that was just not my skill set. I did okay at it while starting. Um, I worked very hard for him. But I remember at the end of each day, I felt exhausted just working for that long. I remember feeling like I was going to die. I was so tired, which again is insane now, given the, the schedule that I work um, between all the clients that I have, this podcast, the nonprofit and having two kids under the age of four. I scoff at 24 year old me and go, <laughs> you didn't even know, but it's baby steps, right? I mean, you got to learn. You got to get those muscles. You got to ramp up. Uh, I just watched Coming to America. It was on cable recently. And he said, one must walk before he can fly. One cannot fly into flying. That is not mine. That is Nietzsche's. So I am quoting Prince Akeem, who was quoting Nietzsche. And there you go. So these were baby steps into my first job. And I'm very, very grateful. One other thing of note. And I hesitate telling this story a little bit, but whatever, we're going to do it. On my 25th birthday, Colorado Oil and Gas Association was hosting a, like a breakfast meet and greet for uh, all the Democrats in the state legislature. The previous day they had one for Republicans. But what was special about this Democrat one was the then candidate for governor was Bill Ritter. And I remember meeting him and I remember thinking like, I'm a young voter. I was unaffiliated at the time. I still am. And as I met him, we were shaking hands and I was looking him in the face and I say the face and not the eye, because when I met him, he wasn't looking directly at me. He was talking sort of to me, but he was looking around the room for whoever was more important to talk to than me. I remember thinking, dude, I don't like that. Like that's 
that's really off-putting to me. And I don't know, man. You didn't uh, you didn't win a vote on that one. And I know, sort of, you don't win them one at a time, but you can lose them one at a time. And that was he lost me on that one. And it's I don't know. Maybe that's unfair of me, but it's something that always stuck with me, and it's something that I notice when I meet someone. How present are they in the moment when they meet me? And if they're not, do they hang a lantern on it and talk about why? So, I don't know, just something to take away. When you are meeting someone for the first time, or shit, if uh, if you're talking to someone for the millionth time, just be present in whatever you do. Because if you're not, that's really off-putting. And I know there are times where I certainly haven't been present, or I've been a self-involved ass. And I'm not saying that go- that Governor Ritter was or wasn't, but... Personally, there have been times where I've been a self-involved ass and not been as present as I should have been. Uh, but telling this story again is a good reminder to always be present with those who you are with. So, programming note, uh, I'm off next week. And then two weeks from now, uh, we're going to kick back up on interviews. I got a few lined up. I got a few surprises in store. Maybe the return of the Confidential series. That'll be fun. And... Uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be good, but we will revisit John's audio resume. I've got a few more jobs lined up, and let me think. All right, nothing else. Let's play the outro. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web. That is my company. That is what I do to make money. It is D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. We are sponsored by 4Degrees, the number 4-D-E-G-R-E-E-S. God, they're good. They do online campaigns. They'll build you a website. They'll do hosting. They will put together great messaging for you and get it to the people you need to see it most, whether that's on the internet, whether that's through uh, search engine marketing, or you know social media advertising. Hit them up, the number 4-D-E-G-R-E-E-S. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Those are great ways to keep up with the John of All Trades podcast. Every time a new episode drops on Wednesdays, just search John of All Trades. Hit that subscribe button. They'll come straight to you. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Social media is another terrific way. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. J-O-A-T-Pod is the handle. Facebook's the only place for episode previews. Those go up to Mondays before shows on Wednesdays. Like I said... I am back here in two weeks with a brand new episode. I will have a guest. Very exciting. I'm thrilled to get back to the original format. And until I hear you back here, thanks for a great run, Amelie. I'm going to miss you. I will see you around. And for the rest of you, say goodnight, Tracy. That's good, Johnny.